You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast, where you can get access to our special bonus content, like our whole church news segment, where we cover current events from around the world in the church today. James chapter 5, verses 9 through 11 in the New American Standard Bible reads, Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Pastor Will, this passage seems to be saying something about judgment, something about arguing with other Christians and perseverance. How are these themes connected and uh, what can we learn about unity from this verse? Yeah, I don't think this verse is saying that you're not going to have disagreements and that you're always going to see eye to eye on things. I think what James is trying to say is like, check, check your like, I have to be right all the time at the door uh, that that you you're you're arguing to arguing sake to um, isn't necessarily the best use of, of your energy. Uh, but try to find a way to live together, even if you did disagree. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll even, you know, I know it's kind of radical, but I even say that James's interpretation of Job is off a little bit because I don't think Job is the point of Job is like Job endured and suffered, and because of his perseverance, when he was rewarded um, for for persevering so much through through suffering, but rather. Um, Job, as we will learn with our conversation, Dr. Greenstein, is that it is through Job's honesty and integrity and, and courage uh, that that was a game changer in his life through through unjust suffering. So, so anyway, I don't think it's just like suffer and then um, you know God will will reward you one day for that. But but I think it's I think it's a little different than that. Could you say though that Job's honesty persevered? through all or endured through all of the suffering yeah that would be a good one that would be a good one yep that's a good good take absolutely because it certainly did (laughs) he did not waver he did not waver in his honesty of what he was going through hey everybody welcome to the whole church podcast i am one of your co-hosts joshua noel my role today is a little unique i am here to announce the one and only, the the most wonderful, the most fantastic substitute of the greatest co-host of all time, <laughs> subs, subbing in for TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell is the one and only, your favorite Lutheran pastor, who's tired of me introducing him already, Pastor Will Rose, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes, wonderful Will. I'll take that. Wonderful <laughs> Will. I'll take it. Yeah, wonderful Will in Chapel Hill. And today go. we'll be discussing with... We mentioned before we're doing an interview with Dr. Ed Greenstein. He's a Hebrew scholar. And the reason we're interviewing him is because of the unique perspective of what type of literature Job is. Many people hold this perspective. He is uniquely qualified to speak on it, though, even though he is not a Christian. And I believe if you guys come with an open mind, you'll learn something about a different perspective of this book, which might help you have better unity with other Christians who hold a similar perspective. That being said, to review today's audience engagement... I am disappointed in one audience member, not because you gave us a one-star review on Apple Podcast. I love that. (laughs) 
What I'm disappointed in is that you didn't you didn't comment. You didn't say why. We need the review, not just the rating. I want to know why we got a one star. Was it just because of my voice? Did you happen to listen when TJ wasn't there? What was it, you know? You know, yeah. Take the example of Job and be uh, completely honest. Yeah, yeah. So come back, leave another one-star review, and tell me why you did it. <laughs> that being said, guys, if you're not part of our conversation, do you want to talk about the book of Job, go over to our Facebook group, The Whole Church Group, and just talk with us. I'm over there. Will's over there. We'll have a good time. And you know what's no secret at all? Uh, mm. Anyone listening who has heard an episode before, anyone who's been on the show before, Anyone who just kind of is vaguely aware of my existence knows that I have a favorite form of unity, and that is complete and utter silliness. <laughs> so today, Pastor Will, for our silly question, before we welcome our pristine guest, I want to ask you, if you were in a food fight and could select the three foods, everyone's limited to three foods, that your enemies will use against you, what will you select? I'll go first, give you time to think about it. Okay. Uh, th- this one's tough because you don't want anything too hard, but you also don't want anything too messy. They're attacking you. So first thing I thought of was spinach leaves. I feel like I'm pretty safe against spinach leaves. <laughs> um, then I want shredded cheese. It'll probably make it to me, but I can brush shredded cheese off pretty easily. Might get in my clothes a little bit. I'll live. And then bacon bits. It's the same situation as the shredded cheese, but I don't mind if it gets stuck on me that much. I will just eat the bacon. Works for me. Yeah. All right, and, Pastor Will. And the word is out there whether bacon bits are real bacon or not. Is it faux bacon? Is it real? Some it are real, some are Which bacon bits, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those annoyed people who are like very um, picky about that kind of thing. Like if it's not real bacon, like what is the point? If yeah. it's this vegetarian stuff, I will have a meltdown. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I think you set uh, the bar there and kind of thinking about... Uh, the strategic nature of food fights and allowing your enemy to throw things at you. So I'm, I'm going to go with something um, air popped popcorn because it's really okay. light. Yeah. There's yeah. no way that can hurt you. Like, I guess if it can get in your eyes or something, but you know, it doesn't have butter, <laughs> doesn't have salt. You just like, you throw air popped popcorn. It's, there's, there's no damage with that. Nice, nice. Uh, I think similarly, I'm going to go with like croutons. You know, it's. I thought about you know, that. Yeah, yeah, croutons. They, they can hit you, but it's not going to do any damage. Uh, you, the only damage if you're barefoot and you're going to try to walk around, maybe step on a crouton. That could that could probably hurt. And, th- and then I'm going to go with um, tofu. Like, ooh, good. It, yeah, so it'll just kind of bounce off of you because it's just nothing but like. You, I'm surprised neither of us said marshmallow. Ah, I was thinking gravy because I like gravy. It's like, hey, throw it at me. I have gravy. That too. But then it's kind of messy, <laughs> you know, stain yeah. your shirt, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, not great. All right. Well, hey, let's welcome our fabulous guest today. So as you guys know, we have been doing an ongoing series called our Dividing Scripture series. We just kind of been going through the Bible with a lot of contested scriptures or scriptures that people haven't always agreed on translations about and discussing how we can have unity with different perspectives. And part of that is knowing and learning about different perspectives. So today we have an expert in the book of Job. We recently been going over Job, uh, what kind of literature it is. There's some disagreement about that. There's disagreement about who Hasatan is, a bunch of stuff like that. But today we're talking about Dr. Ed Greenstein's translation of the book of, of Job. He is a Hebrew scholar who offers a special insight into what type of literature the book might be. And even though he's not part of the Christian church, his take is going to be of the utmost importance when it comes to figuring out what type of literature this book is. 
So when we want to understand different perspectives, these scholarly perspectives are some of the most important to really digest, even if you don't fully agree, so that you understand what we're talking about here and what these other perspectives are. Um, I actually came to learn about uh, Dr. Greenstein and his book through Pastor Will, who's here with us today. And I think you wanted to say something about how you came into contact with the book. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as as pastor of a congregation, every so often someone, a, a member will give you a gift, whether it's like a, just a card saying thank you or giving you a new book or giving you a stained glass a cross or whatever. They'll often just gift you with a gift and, and say a thank you. Well, I had a member who is pretty uh, scholarly and a student, kind of a theology nerd, and he um, gave me uh, Dr. Ed Greenstein's book, uh, Job, A New Translation, with an article article that was in our local North Carolina paper about the book. And, and I was like, oh man, I've been really wanting to deep dive, deep dive Job. And, um, but as you get books, sometimes your book stacks get kind of tall and they get kind of lost in, in the stack. And so I never really got to it. But then over COVID, over the shutdown, our, our young adult group uh, wanted to do a Bible study on Job. And I was like, yes, let's do it. Yeah. So um, I had this opportunity. I was like, yeah, but can't wait to do this Bible study so that I can use this book that has a new translation of Job or really get into the nuance of the Hebrew and the manuscripts and how the chapters are placed and, and presented in this book. And so as we were studying the book of uh, Job, we were able to uh, do this study and deep dive into Job using um, the Bible that we normally use, the, the New Revised Standard Version, along uh, right beside Dr. Greenstein's book on translation. So I could read what, what our translation of the Bible said and then have his book as kind of backup or to share a counter or go deeper on these Hebrew words. And his book really helped us understand the book, its nature, its its placement in the canon, the the genre, and and really kind of the Hebrew words that unpacks, and it really helped share with me. And really, I, I think it it was a I'm not gonna say life changing, but it was definitely changed how I read Job in terms of his translation of this book, specifically with chapter forty two verse six, and so that. Um, um, in, in a good way, in a good way. So, so thank you for your work. And we were so uh, blessed by reading the book along with the Bible, helping us uh, with the words and translation. Well, I'm very gratified. I did this project uh, in order to make a difference in how people think about Job. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, w I wanted to get to your background with the text, but we were talking some before we got on the recording. I just thought it was interesting um, you mind sharing some of your background in music? So that, that was kind of cool to me. Well, I think there's a strong connection between a talent for music and uh, a good ear for language. Mm -hmm. uh, I come from a, a very musical family, especially on my mother's side, and um, many musicians going back to Eastern Europe and, uh, and uh, when they came to the United States. Uh, a very musical family. It was even written up a lot in the 19. Uh, 40s and 50s. I had uh, many relatives in many major orchestras, etc. Um, but I myself uh, began uh, learning instruments, uh, musical instruments, uh, at a young age, and um, and I grew up with uh, with lots of kinds of music. And when I was young, like uh, many of my peers, I was interested in folk music and also in 
uh, rock and roll. And I started a rock and roll band. I played through high school. I wrote rock and roll songs. And uh, uh, um, producers and publishers in uh, in New York, uh, which is where near near where I live, uh, you know, would listen to me fairly regularly. I had contracts, um, although my songs really weren't recorded until uh, much more recently. Some of them. In any case, uh, um, I don't think there's a direct relation between uh, rock and roll <laughs> and other kinds of music that I like and um, and my work on Joe. But I do think that uh, an ear for music and an ear for language, uh, you know, is you know, is an overlapping talent. Yeah, especially when we're talking about something like the Book of Job that uses a lot more poetry, a lot more of that artistic value into the text. I feel like makes. Yeah, makes sense to me anyway. <laughs> but uh, we mentioned a lot. You have a huge background with this text specifically. Um, would you mind telling our listeners some of your story in context of how, why, why is Job important to you? Let's just okay. get to well, the chase. Well, <laughs> start by saying that already as an undergraduate, I began. I was in a joint program between the Jewish Theological Seminary and Columbia University, uh, and I had lots of Hebrew Bible courses. Uh, in Hebrew, and I mm-hmm. saw that I had a knack uh, for kind of figuring out what what difficult phrases meant, even when we didn't really know the words, or I didn't yet know the words. Um, mm-hmm. But I, but based on context, because one of the things, the most important things I learned from my teachers was that texts made sense, especially you know, in the early days, in ancient times, texts made mm-hmm. sense to people. Uh, we may not always catch that sense, and we may think differently. So that it's hard for us to get our hands around their sense. Nevertheless, uh, one should, I think, begin with the assumption that this did make sense. So that uh, when we have trouble understanding a text, either we don't know the language, or there's something wrong with the text, uh, which I very often have to assume, especially <laughs> in a text like Job, right? Or um, we're just never going to figure out what it is, and we have to be pretty humble, you know, about making stabs at uh, what we think uh, the text should should mean and how we can get it to mean that, but we can't always be sure about it. There are many of my suggestions that I make in my translation uh, that I'm fairly sure about, and then there are others uh, that I'm, I think, that I have a healthy skepticism about. Okay, <laughs> so um, yeah. so I began studying it as, a, as an undergraduate, but I also... Uh, began studying philosophy of religion uh, also in my first year of college, and I uh, I got very uh, caught up in what we call the problem of evil or of innocent suffering. That is, how can a God be all good, all powerful, all knowing, and yet mm-hmm. ca- how can we account for there being evil? How can we account for uh, good people um, suffering in this world? Um, and I got very interested in that subject, and of course. The text that most obviously deals with that in the in the Hebrew Bible and in the Christian scriptures, uh, from my own, mm-hmm. you know, as far as I know, right, is uh, the Book of Job. It comes goes straight on, you know, in uh, coping with that issue. And so I began also reading uh, more and more about uh, the theology of Job, and different approaches to it. Um, mm-hmm. In my graduate studies, I specialized in. Uh, Semitic philology, which means the study and interpretation of ancient languages. And I saw that, um, or, and I, and, and at the same time, I was uh, doing a master's in, 
that uh, I was doing the Semitic philology uh, mostly at Columbia University, uh, but I was doing also uh, a master's in Jewish studies at uh, the Jewish Theological Seminary, and I was taking a year-long course with Professor H. L. Ginsburg in the Book of Job, mm-hmm. where he studied, you know, every verse, every phrase, and every word uh, uh, with his critical acumen. He was a real genius. It doesn't mean I always agreed with him, but I think he had a very uh, sharp sense of what the Book of Job was mainly uh, about and where it was going. And I took uh, uh, copious notes, uh, some of which I could only understand years later. <laughs> yeah. Because he was, he was not, uh, he didn't explain everything, you know, to every, you know, beginning student's uh, satisfaction or not even to every graduate student's satisfaction. But I saw that there's a lot that can be done with Semitic philology in Job. Now, I also ha- always had an interest in the literary interpretation of texts. And I, as I, and as I mentioned before, I also was interested in theological, philosophical issues. And I saw mm-hmm. that working on the book of Job brought together these different interests of mine. So that, um, this was something that I knew I would want to pursue, uh, you know, as time went on. Uh, it, it took a while, uh, after I'd already been teaching at the Jewish Theological Seminary for about 10 years before I actually gave a course, uh, you know, a seminar on the book of Job. Uh, but when I did, mm-hmm. I started getting into it, of course, using Professor Ginsburg's notes, you know, as my basis. Uh, but I, I continually uh, expanded those notes, you know, with my own uh, studies, reading other literature, et cetera, et cetera. And when I prepared for his classes, I also read a number of different commentaries and looked things up on my own so that uh, I started building, you might say, uh, you know, a whole basis or foundation for uh, the advanced study of Job. And I continued doing that uh, through the 1990s. Um, in the early 90s, I spent a couple of years uh, on research leaves in Israel, and I taught Joe both at Hebrew University and at Tel Aviv University. And uh, I continued, you know, developing and, um, and and began publishing in this area as well. And uh, I was uh, given a contract to write a, an English commentary for a series that doesn't exist anymore, and I never finished <laughs> that commentary, uh, but also for a, uh, the, the Israel's leading uh, Hebrew commentary series uh, for educated adults, you might say, or, uh, an mm-hmm. approach that uses criti- that uses biblical criticism, uh, but is but is written not only for scholars but for the uh, you might say the educated public. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I so I began working on all this very seriously doing other projects as well, uh, but beginning to publish articles so that I published, uh, you know, by now, you know, um, you know a, a few dozen uh, uh, articles, and, uh, and uh, I published this translation, but I still intend to publish a, 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 you might call it a high-tech English commentary in an American series, or an English language series, but also this, um, uh, this Hebrew commentary uh, for the general uh, educated Israeli public, uh, and uh, that I expect to finish first, and then the uh, more high-tech uh, series. But meanwhile, I thought it was important to get my translation out there um, to make a difference in the way that Job is interpreted, mm-hmm. at least to give people something to to challenge them. And that's why I um, 
I, I produced this uh, trans- annotated translation of Job. Yeah, and the annotated section is super helpful. I um, you've said a lot. <laughs> you said a lot there that that I, I wanted to um, touch on. Um, primarily uh, talking about the different words and how you can go word by word. I feel like a lot of people in my context have their certain English version of the Bible that they take at face value, whatever it is, that, that's what it is. And if you haven't gone word through word through an ancient text like this, you don't realize how much work really goes into it and how much decision and hermeneutic kind of stuff goes with that. They're making a lot of with these translations making decisions on what these words mean. Whereas if you're studying the word yourself, you kind of get to be the one who's saying, okay, well, this word could mean this or this, what makes most sense here. And there's a lot of scholarship that goes into that. So when he used the word humility, I think that's going to be really important as we, we hit on our next few questions. Um, Will, you, you, you want something? Yeah, I just want to share that all those who are working on big projects or even working on books. Uh, Dr. Greenstein said that he started working this in the 90s and this book was put out in 2019. So the long run of a lot of work and years are put in to put out these things. And I can't wait for the, the English commentary on the book when, when that comes out. And um, and yeah, and, and he was so gracious because as, you know, a year ago, two years ago, I don't know when it was, it was in the height of the kind of the COVID shutdown. Um, we were going through his book and I had questions and I was like, why did he make this choice? Because he's okay. also dealing with not just Hebrew words and in interpretation, but also manuscripts and where where whole chapters are placed or not placed or out of place. And so I got confused. I was like, why are you skipping this chapter? Where did this go? And I sent him a, a nice email going, hey, can you help us understand? And he immediately responded and said, yeah, let me clarify um, with that. So I was able to read that to our young adult group that he responded. So they thought that was kind of neat that we were reading this guy's book. And he also responded to our question via email. And and so, yeah, there's a lot of choices that are being made. And it takes a, a lot of scholarship, a lot of hard work to kind of sort through all the nuance to get the actual word to your page. Because often I think, um, you know, I, I deal with this too in my own congregation. They think of the plain text. Just just let the scripture, just the plain text speak for itself. But rather, that's not necessarily always the case because there are choices that are being made uh, with, with the words and the translation of the words. And so not that... Um, translations aren't good or we shouldn't uh, trust them. But but if you want to go deeper, uh, these words carry a lot of weight uh, to them and, and even the manuscripts. So I appreciate your work in that and, and sharing that in your book. Thank you. Let me just uh, make two comments, if I may. Okay. One is, yeah. of course, that, yeah, is that, uh, you know, texts don't mean things by themselves, right? They're always the product of how we approach them and what we do with them. You know, texts mm-hmm. don't speak for themselves. You know, I, I I used to, uh, I actually wrote about this once. It's one of the most quoted things in my book, Essays on Biblical Method and Translation from 1989, where if you take a book, like this is my translation, you open it up, whether it's the Bible or anything else, and you want to see what the book has to say, just open it up and see what it has to say. And of course, after, you know, when you (laughs) open it up in front of students, after a while, they get the idea that it doesn't really speak. Texts don't speak. We have to read them, which means that it's always filtered mm-hmm. through the ways that we read, which means that it depends on you know, where you're coming from and where I'm coming from, etc. What I try to do, though, in, in this book is at least to provide, uh, you know, as, uh, as Joshua was saying, I try to provide enough annotation so that you can at least, uh, you know, see where I'm coming from. In other words, if I, if I interpret something a certain way, why do I do it that way? Why is it different? 
uh, from the way it's presented in other translations? Well, it's because I'm comparing certain other verses where these words are used, or I'm understanding that there's an allusion to another text here, or I'm looking at uh, a word um, on the basis of other Semitic languages uh, where that can shed some light, perhaps, on this word, or where I, which I can bring to bear uh, on uh, interpreting that word, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, yes, uh, and and I will say though that I, I'm not happy with uh, most translations of Job. There are some that I think are better than others, but there are very few mm-hmm. scholars who put out commentaries on Job uh, who do a lot, who do their own original philological work. Most of the commentaries that mm-hmm. you read are done by people who are simply looking at the way that these texts have been understood in the various translations and the various traditions by various commentators, but they're not, uh, they're, they're not taking each phrase, each verse, right? Each difficulty and trying to work it out on their own. Uh, I try to do that. Yeah. I, in other words, I, I don't rely on anyone else. Uh, I try to, even though I learn from many other people, I still try to work it out myself in a way that's satisfying to me. And there are a couple of other scholars whom I know. I know, I think, uh, most of the uh, Job scholars in the world. <laughs> um, but um, there are a couple who do this kind of original work. But we are very few and far between. Um, uh, yeah. most, of, most of what you read is recycling ideas that have been put out already. It doesn't mean that they're wrong, but it, it just means that they haven't been... Uh, you know, it's, it's like it's like doing a scientific experiment, you know, where it's been done many times before. But in order to satisfy yourself that it's really correct, you will you want to be able to show that you can do it yourself. You can't do that for everything. Yeah. But in the book of Job, I try to do it for as much as I can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have a few more questions we want to run through. But um, just just on that matter, it's it's interesting. It's one. Let me give a simple Whatever I I, th- I believe it's the the word the is it the Hebrew word live that both means heart and mind am I thinking of the right word live live yes live live when okay. it's attached when it has and, a a suffix attached it comes out live like libi my heart yeah. liba her heart yeah so it's possible if all three of us were interpreting that word given different theological context different upbringing whatever that you know will comes at it and says I'm going to translate it as that as the word heart Dr. Greenstein looks at it and translates it as the word mind and this is just a random example and I for this particular phrase I'm like I'm going to say heart and mind none of those are wrong but you do have to realize that each perspective of the person who's translating that for you is bringing something different to the table so it's important to the best of your ability to kind of look into why did they translate it that way um, and the well, flip side, someone reading that, reading that translation will read mind to be like, oh, it's, it's a head thing. It's something I got to work out in my head and an mm-hmm. intellect. And another person says heart. No, it's about feeling and, and it's about our emotions and our gut. And you're like, well, it, it can be it's the whole body or it's the heart and the heart. What, mm-hmm. what is it? So the reader is interpreting what you're, what you're bringing to the table. Too. I don't think you knew this, yeah. but uh, I actually wrote a whole article about or the heart as an organ of speech in the Bible, because it's the same thing. They, they knew that there was <laughs> nice, organ, nice. and they believe and they believe that thoughts originate there, but they also believe that language originates there. So that you know the the, huh. the 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 germ of your of what you say starts here, comes up you know through your you know, oral cavity, and of course is pronounced and 
comes out your mouth, but the the notion uh, that is embodied in your speech uh, starts in the heart, and you can actually mm. say that the heart speaks in biblical Hebrew. Nice. Uh, huh. So so yeah. that it's a mind and heart, and but it's also the seat of emotions, as you say. So you have to use. So what you what you put your finger on is the basic most basic principle of philology of determining what texts mean. Not only ancient texts, but the newspapers that you read, stories you read, anything, a letter that you read, and that is context. In other words, you've got to look in the context and and ask yourself what makes the most sense here, based on the background of this text and based on your, you might say, your current um, state of mind and your current purpose in reading this text, because you, everybody has a reason for reading. That also influences how mm -hmm. you interpret. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, you were talking about uh, scholars who interpret with their commentary. And that, that's we've had uh, Dr. Trimper Longman on before, and yes. he does that with uh, Song of Songs and a couple different places. And his work on that's been crazy influential for me as well. So I just want to recommend that to everybody. Um, and then we're going to run through some some quick questions. He also has a comment yeah. on Job. Yes. <laughs> I actually have How to Read Job by him uh, on my nightstand by my bed. <laughs> it's it's the simplest one. And sometimes I like simple. <laughs> but uh, you, know, you so just real quick. So some questions about your interpretation on Job. Um, primarily, I feel like the big difference of your interpretation and some others is your take on what type of literature this is. Um, you treat Job as a parody. Could you kind of expound on why? Okay. It's not only a parody, but uh, what it does is it um, it tries to poke holes in or undermine uh, conventional ideas. And one of the rhetorical means of uh, putting ideas to a critical uh, in, or, uh, ch or challenging these ideas is to parody them. That is, to take texts that uh, that are accepted, uh, you might say, uncritically in the tradition, and then to um, to parody them. Now, parody doesn't have to be a negative thing. Uh, in right. in contemporary criticism, you know, parody can simply be the you know imitation or uh, duplication. Uh, of, of of a text or style mm -hmm. um, that just changes the meaning because you've changed the context or the purpose or whatever. But it also, uh, and in our mind, usually is associated uh, by uh, with criticism. You know that you, you parody something and criticize it, and you find mm -hmm. this throughout the Book of Job. Not everything is parody, uh, but a lot of it is. Um, uh, Sometimes they just turn things upside down. I'll give you, um, I could give you, I'll give you a simple illustration, and then I'll give you uh, uh, what I think is uh, my the most interesting usage in the Book of Job. Okay, a simple illustration is 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 very explicit in the Book of Proverbs, chapter thirteen. Uh, you read. I'm not giving you an exact quote right now, but <laughs> something like you know the lamp, the lamp of the wicked goes out, but the light of the the righteous shines. Okay, maybe mm. it's backwards. Okay, that is uh, repeated uh, by one of Job's uh, companions, Bildad, in the second round of uh, of discussion. 
or of argument. But then Job parodies it. And he says, how often is it that the light of the, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 the lamp of the wicked goes out? Right? How, how often does that, such things happen? How, because the flip side of good people suffering is bad people prospering. And this is something that bothered uh, Jeremiah at the beginning of mm-hmm. chapter 12. It bothers uh, right. uh, Habakkuk, right? uh, Habakkuk, you may say it. In um, in uh, chapter uh, two, I think, uh, or maybe it's one. I forget now. Uh, sometimes get confused. And um, <laughs> it and it, but but in the book of Proverbs, it's taken as uh, uh, you know as a uh, as a fundamental uh, belief, and it's quoted as that almost word for word by Bildad, <laughs> although Bildad emphasizes the negative side of it. That you know the wicked lamp goes out. He doesn't mention the righteous's uh, 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 lamp no. shining. And uh, some people mm-hmm. think that that's being, meant to be a dig at Job. You know that you know Job. You know to imply that Job has now proven himself to be wicked because he's very stubborn and uh, thinks that uh, God <laughs> has perhaps uh, done something unjust to him and perhaps to others. But then, uh, but then uh, Job uh, quotes it in a rhetorical question. Answering, asking, is this really the case? Is this really the case? Mm. Now, my favorite parody is in Job's first speech in chapter three. And this is something that I believe I'm the first person to have uh, adequately pointed out. And that is that it's, it's where Job curses the day he was born and the night he was conceived, mm-hmm. which of course is already backwards because if you're conceived right. <laughs> at night prior to your being born uh, on a later day, <laughs> nine months later. Okay, no, but that's part of it. It's the whole turning everything upside down. Like night is ba- is is and dark is good, and light and day is bad in that chapter. But what I want to say is that there it it's a cursing of the day, a cursing of the night. Now there's a curse is like an ancient incantation, where, you know, where you recite a particular formula and you invoke um, the uh, the greater powers in the world to do your bidding. When it's a blessing, you invoke blessing. But when it's a curse, you, you invoke curse. Now, people, the most common kind of incantation that we know in the ancient world, at least in the ancient Near Eastern world, starting already in the ancient Babylonian period, all the way through medieval times, early medieval times or late antique times is you get an incantation in order to protect a woman going through childbirth because there's a danger mm. to the mother and a danger to the child and as you know you know the uh, the rate of infant mortality in ancient times was was very great mm. compared to you know our uh, modern period people would go to wizards sorcerers or whatever to to have an incantation written mm-hmm. for them or recited for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So what has what is Job doing? He is taking that incantation and turning it on its head and turning it from something to protect birth in order to uh, try to uh, negate mm-hmm. birth, to annul birth, to prevent it from happening. And I know that this wow. is what's going on here because <laughs> one of the images that's 
because there's because the, the poet is very learned and he knows about uh, ancient uh, incantations and even Mesopotamian ones, I think. And what he does is he takes an image that appears in several ancient Near Eastern incantations. The idea is that the 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 uh, the woman wants the bars across the womb to be open. It's like the door the doors of the womb which are held by a bar, like two double doors that are held by mm. a bar, you know, to remove the bar and open the doors and let the baby through the birth canal. <laughs> what Job said, <laughs> complains about is that God did not uh, 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 close his doors. It's in chapter 3, verse 10. Oh. Didn't close the doors mm -hmm. to prevent him from going out. And I know that this is an image that he wants to evoke here, because he uses the same image in chapter 38. The poet uses the same image in the God speeches when he's mm -hmm. talking about the birth of um, the, uh, uh, the the God or monster of chaos, uh, Yam, sea or, uh, or, yeah. or, or water. You know where the where the where the idea is that the the sea kind of bursts open, uh, just like uh, a, a mm. baby coming out of the womb. And the water bursting forth. That's fantastic. That's, and and I'd like to think of parody too. Like, you know, like it is it is as as fantastic. And you know, I'm a I'm a fan of Saturday Night Live. I like to watch Saturday Night Live. I like to see the sketches and the comedy. And and when they're doing a sketch or parody sketch, you know, what are they doing? Is they're not saying things exactly happen that way, but they're holding up a mirror to critique or help us look differently at something that's going on in modern day culture or modern day news to help us see it from a different anger, to to bring up its humor or the absurdity of what's going on in our daily lives. And so I like, not that all of Job is one big Sunday live skit, but it is definitely holding up a mirror and it's, and it's holding up a, a critique of kind of modern or what's going on in terms of the, the common idea of, of spirituality or how God operates. And so I, when I get out, I don't know if it's in, in, in Dr. Greenstein's book or, or somewhere else, but the, the thing that came to my mind is that Job isn't questioning God's existence. Uh, he, Job is questioning the rule book and the ways in which God is operating. And, and you bring to fight, bring to light that, that perhaps Job was, was a lawyer or someone that was an advocate within court. And so he's making his case and he's trying to get God to take the stand to, to, to uh, prove your point of what's going on. And, and Job is a pretty good, um, debater or, or lawyer to, mm -hmm. to, with his friends going back and forth. And he knows, uh, the book of Proverbs or the poet knows the book of Proverbs very, very much. Now, to get to this, I don't want to skip over this before we got to go, but your translation of chapter um, 42, verse 6, really the whole book can probably hinge on the interpretation or translation of this book. And, and often it's, it's kind of translated as after God gives the big speech, Job says, yep, um, you know, I'll repent in dust and ashes. And it's after that repentance, Job's fortunes are are brought back to him and he lives happily ever after. Um, but Dr. Greenstein says, no, maybe it should not be translated as I repent in dust and ashes, but rather um, if that's how things operate, if that's how the rule book is happening for humanity. If that's how the rule book plays out for humanity that's made from dust and ashes, then then I feel sorry for the dust and ashes. I take pity on them. And it's that confession that then from there on, 
Job's life or fortunes turn a different table. That honesty with God, that that kind of um, solidarity with all of humanity, and that yeah, unjust suffering happens is then that things turn and a new chapter happens for Job. So I um, I get excited about that because it really helped me see the book in a whole different frame and light. I don't know if you have any, uh, more to add to that, Doctor Greenstein, or what 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 would. Or what pushback you've gotten on that verse? I'm sure you've gotten a lot of emails and people going, "What? That that's the exact opposite of." It's the part of my translation no. that's gotten the most attention from the very first uh, reviews uh, that came out um, just when the book was published. Um, yeah, this is not to me something that I think it could mean. This is some. This is one of the things, one of the, the one of the places in the book where I'm most confident that I'm getting it right. And the reason is because mm-hmm. everybody else fudges to get it to mean something else. <laughs> and I'm going to explain, first of all, the background of, of, uh, of uh, Job's response here. And I'll try to explain to you, uh, I think in ways that everyone can pretty much appreciate, where the fudging comes in mm-hmm. and why the fudging comes in. Right? The <laughs> why the fudging comes in is that at the end of the book, uh, chap- beginning with chapter 42, 7, when God then speaks to Job's companions, he says to them that you didn't speak in honesty about me the way that my servant Job did. And uh, people mm. think, well, God wouldn't compliment Job unless Job had uh, repented of all the harsh things that he said about God. But I think that that's not correct. That The radical thing about this book is that God mm-hmm. is saying, as long as you have a good reason to say or think something about me, it's okay for you to do it. Because the, the thing about Job is that he is honest to a fault. He is absolutely committed to honesty. The clearest mm-hmm. passage is the beginning of chapter 27 on that subject. But the radical part of the book to me is that God says honesty in God talk is also to be appreciated. That is, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're critical of me as long as you have a reason for it and you're honest about it. Honesty is more important than, uh, you know, than buttering me up, than just saying nice things. Okay? You have to confront <laughs> yes. things in an honest way. Okay, so that, to me that's a very great value as well. Now I'll go back to yeah. Job's explanation, which takes us back to uh, Josh, Joshua's point about um, parody, because you have to understand that the that uh, that this verse uh, comes on the heels of a parody. First of all, God's speeches is mm-hmm. in, are in two parts, and in the middle, mm-hmm. uh, Job first responds and puts his hand over his mouth. And people think, people have thought that that gesture means that Job is taking back, is shutting himself up, right? Is silencing himself, is suppressing mm-hmm. himself because he he wasn't speaking correctly. However, uh, what I show mm-hmm. in, um, if you follow my, uh, my references, is that in the book of Job and sometimes elsewhere, the gesture of putting your hand on your mouth is not to silence yourself, but to be quiet in order to hear more. What Job is showing God is, mm. I haven't yet heard an answer to my complaint, which is, what are you holding against me? I didn't hear it. In this first mm-hmm. speech, and so I, 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 I am going to be quiet and listen to what you still have to say, and then God gives another speech, okay, which may not be satisfying either, 
Okay, but he continues. Now, Job responds mm-hmm. to the second speech, and he says, I'm going to now read it from my translation, uh, which is not uh, a, uh, the first five verses are not radically different from everybody else's. So he says, I have known you are able to do all, that you cannot be blocked from any scheme. Now, this phrase, you cannot be blocked from any scheme, is in the Hebrew, it's even closer. Uh, you, it's, a, it's a parody of what God says about the builders of the Tower of Babel. He says, if this is the way that they're going to be, they're going to try to, you know, build a tower and come up to the sky and do whatever they, whatever they're going to do, whether they're going to make war on God or they're just going to, you know, assert their supremacy over the world, whatever they're going to do, God is against it. And God says that if they, if I allow them to start doing this, they won't be able to be blocked from anything that they have schemed. I said, this is not a positive thing to say about God. This is what God says uh, negatively about the builders of Babel. This is a negative thing that Job is alluding to. He goes on, who is this hiding counsel without knowledge? This is a quotation or near quotation of God from the God speeches, right? It's in quotation mm-hmm. marks. And, um, we, we all know that, <laughs> that, that, that mimicry is the quintessential expression of parody. Like you say, good evening. And I say, good evening. Mm. Like it's, you know, it's, you, you repeat, but you repeat <laughs> in, a, in a different tone, in a different context. And here, Job is repeating God's words. And then he says, truly I've spoken without comprehending wonders beyond me that I do not know. Here, I'm assuming because of the parody in the preceding lines that Job is saying is tongue in cheek. But here you can challenge me and say, but it's not so clear in the words themselves. Okay. I go on. Here now and I will speak. I will ask you and you help me know. This is also a parody of what God, how God addressed Job in the God speeches, which was not a very nice thing, right? Because God does not speak nicely to Job. He speaks, he calls Job on the carpet and he speaks down to Job as if Job were evil. Okay. And then he says, as a hearing by the ear, I have heard you and now my eye has seen you. People make a lot out of that as though Job is saying something new. Finally, now I see, I understand. However, if you look back at the beginning of chapter 13, you'll see that Job already says almost exactly this. This is not a new claim by Job. Okay? Not a new claim by Job. Mm -hmm. And then we come to uh, a phrase that is usually understood the following way. Okay? It's usually understood as something like, okay, um, therefore, um, I, uh, I, I relent or I take back my words. I reject what I say. I recant and I take, uh, I repent mm-hmm. in dust and ashes. Now I'm going to try to explain to you why this is cheating in Hebrew. Okay. First of all, <laughs> the verb, which, uh, okay, uh, for recanting or relenting is a, is a verb that is, is usually transitive. That means it takes a direct object. But there is no direct object here. Okay, when it takes a direct object, there others the other commentators are assuming it means I take back my words, I reject my words. Except that the phrase I reject my words doesn't occur anywhere in biblical Hebrew. In other words, they're making up an idiom, then they're assuming that the idiom is mm. uh, is uh, abbreviated, and then they're saying that's how I'm going to translate it here. 
However, the same verb can also be intransitive. It can, in other words, it doesn't always need a direct object. It can mean I am disgusted or fed mm -hmm. up. And it does mean that according to most translations in chapter 7, verse 16. So all I'm saying is the verb is being used here by Job, same way as it is used by Job in chapter 7, verse 16. You can look it up in most translate, most modern translations. Okay. So I take it to mean I am disgusted mm -hmm. or fed up. That's the way it's used elsewhere in Job without making any assumptions about additional words and phrases that don't exist anywhere that I, that not only am I assuming, but I'm also abbreviating. Okay. Now I take pity on dust and ashes. Okay. If you take yeah. the only way to get, uh, I'm sorry, I relent or I repent in dust and ashes. Problem is that dust and ashes occurs two other times in the Bible when Abraham is arguing with God about the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, you know, it's really great that you're talking to me, you know, because I am only dust and ashes. In other words, it is a phrase that refers to the lowly status of humanity. And that's how Abraham uses it. Job uses it in a figurative way also in chapter 30 of the book of Job. This phrase is not, therefore, used elsewhere literally. It's not used elsewhere literally. Mm -hmm. So I should not assume that it's being used literally here. Therefore, I think that Dustin Dash is here. Mm -hmm. It's abject humanity, suffering humanity, poor humanity, low status humanity. But there's more. If you want to say that you're doing something in dust and ashes in biblical Hebrew, as far as I know, nobody checked this before I did. You need another verb. You need a verb that says, I am repenting or whatever. Being in dust and ashes, sitting in dust and ashes, lying in dust and ashes, crawling in dust and ashes. You need another verb of being in the dust and ashes. There is no such thing here. Now, is it possible that it could still mean in dust and ashes? It's possible. Is it probable? No, it's not. And I believe that mm. one should interpret according to the way that the words are usually used, another, unless there's a really good reason not to. Now, if I couldn't find another meaning mm -hmm. for the verb that I translate to take pity, then I would be in trouble. But the, the fact is that if you take the verb, the same verb that's translated repent, and you take the preposition that's usually translated on, and you take those together, in Hebrew, that makes a different expression, which is to take pity on. And it's used in Psalm 90, and it's used in the book of Samuel, right? It's not the most common usage, but it is a well-attested usage. Mm -hmm. And it and it continues to have that meaning in later Hebrew as well. And I bring you an example of that uh, in, mm -hmm. uh, in my uh, introduction. Okay, so... What I'm claiming then is there is no good reason to assume that Job, who has all along taken pride in his integrity and in his honesty, why he should all of a sudden cave in, right, and surrender to God's browbeating. Second of all, right, if you look at the way that the words are usually used elsewhere in biblical Hebrew, the regular usage is the way I translated them not the way that others have translated them. Therefore, I translate mm -hmm. it the way that I do. And I believe that Job is ending yeah. his speeches uh, using the same um, uh, stamina, integrity, right, and, uh, and uh, 
the same compelling rhetoric that he's used throughout this. And God appreciates that. And that, I think, is the radical. Not what God said. <laughs> that is radical. That, that, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's when things change. That is that integrity. It's the honesty. Right, right, so right. A particular theology, a particular view of God. Now, I know that my, my right. reading is not the way that it's been read uh, for the most part, you know, in the Jewish or Christian tradition, and not by most modern scholars either. But that doesn't make it right. <laughs> and I've, I've gone to great lengths in articles, and, in, and uh, I've uh, summarized the points in my translation for why I read it differently. I've also addressed this problem in the introduction to my translation, so that you don't think that I give the problem short shrift. However, I am, I have to say personally, I am just as proud of many other, uh, uh, um, uh, aspects of my translation, uh, and not only of this. Uh, let me also say that I didn't come to this, uh, uh, completely, with complete originality. There was already an article written in the late 1970s by a, a scholar named, uh, I believe is a British scholar, who's an serologist and biblicist named John Riggs Curtis. And uh, he um, had already, uh, you might say, paved the way uh, for reading Job in this way. And uh, and mm-hmm. if you look at uh, a well-known book uh, by Jack Miles, published in the mid-80s, A God, A Biography, uh, and Miles was a, uh, was, was a former priest who did a Ph.D., uh, in biblical studies at Harvard, and then he, he went more into literary studies than religious studies. Nevertheless, uh, he put, published, a, uh, I think, a very interesting book uh, on reading the uh, the Bible the way that it's ordered in the Hebrew Bible, not the way that it's ordered in the Christian scriptures. But he, he go, goes through reading it, and he gives a he writes a biography of God. He also understands that Job is uh, is um, is not. Uh, Submissive in the end, right? But remains um, courageous till the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, C.S. Lewis's thoughts were kind of similar. Um, not exactly the same. I don't think he used the word parody or anything. Um, and then Pete Ince, he's been on our show before. He he also has a very similar take to to the Book of Job. I, I think that same verse he translates pretty much the same. So. Um, yeah, very helpful. Really appreciate this. Um, hopefully it's helped our listeners kind of see a different perspective. Maybe they're not familiar as familiar with concerning this book of the Bible. Um, you, we've mentioned your interpretation. You've mentioned you're working on a few commentaries. Where can people go to find these works that you've done? Okay. Well, in order to read uh, my, my articles, I have written a few essays um, that are that are not technical, and you can find them by signing up for what's called academia.edu. You don't, it doesn't cost money, and you don't have to put any of your own scholarly work on the site. You just have to, you know, uh, open it, and, uh, and there you will find uh, uh, some articles of mine, like um, uh, Finding Inspiration in Job, um, Meaning in Job, uh, you know, something like cool. that. Uh, if you want to, you, I've written nice. a, a few things that are, uh, for you know wide audiences, and you can find them there. Uh, you might also just find them, you know, by uh, you know by googling, you know, uh, Greenstein meaning in Job or um, uh, speaking truth to power, and, yeah. you know, you know something like that. Uh, in addition, uh, I hope that uh, people will be interested. Uh, well, people who it will be heavy going, but I'm hoping that in a few years from now, 
you'll be able to read uh, a commentary of mine, which may or may not be too technical for some, uh, in the Hermeneus series, uh, which is published uh, by Liturgical Press uh, or, or Augs Fortress Augsburg in uh, Minneapolis. It's a it's a, it's one of the leading American uh, series or English language uh, biblical commentary series, which are aimed uh, not at uh, you know the general public, uh, you know, but at you know, students and scholars uh, of Bible. Uh, but I have written some things, as I say, that would be uh, that might be of interest. There's also an article of mine which I believe is is readable, um, uh, called A Truth or Theodicy, Speaking Truth to Power in the Book of Job. And if you don't look at all the footnotes, uh, okay, uh, it's, uh, it's, you can find it on the Internet, uh, and it's uh, accessed for free through the Library of Princeton Theological Center. Yeah, uh, also, for those who didn't know, on Amazon, if you look up an author's name, you can go to their profile and hit follow. So whenever some of these new books do drop, these other commentaries and stuff, you get a notification and you can just buy it. So that's always something I like to do. Some people don't love Amazon, but I, I, I enjoy it. Well, Dr. Greenstein, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I, I really hope this helped illuminate the book of Job a little bit more for some of our listeners. And um, yeah, I wish you the best, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wish you all the best as well. All right. So Pastor Will, with that, before we get to the God moment or anything else, did you have any um, just moments of reflection you'd like to mention with everything that um, Dr. Greenstein mentioned? No, I just I love his scholarship and and love his wisdom around. It. He's spent a lot of time with this book and and a lot of um, time and energy examining the the Hebrew and the original language. And and I think you know I, I think it is important to acknowledge. Yeah, the Bible is not a book that just floated out of the sky and landed in our lap uh, with one <laughs> translation yeah. for all. It comes to us with from ancient languages and different manuscripts, and there's interpretation involved. And and he's done the work. And even though he's he's not a Christian, he's not of uh, under the umbrella of the church. He's he's he knows his Hebrew very very well, and I respect that, and I love his scholarship with this particular book. And I I find it personally refreshing that that. That, that Job gives us permission to wrestle with unjust suffering. I don't think the interpretation of Job is that, well, you know, um, this is pain and suffering. And at the end of the book, uh, he lives happily ever after. And so if you just endure and, and, and stick it out, all things are going to be all right. And, and the, book at, the book doesn't necessarily explain what's behind pain and suffering, but it, it's in scripture to allow us to wrestle with the question itself. And, and I like this interpretation that Dr. Greenstein, Greenstein um, has, has said that, you know, maybe at the end, it's just Job throws up his hands and says, well, if that's the case, if that's how you're going to answer it, then I, then I take pity on, on humans because we're stuck with this ancient, unanswerable question of unjust suffering in the world. And, and it's there that it kind of leaves with the open-ended question. And, um, and so that being in scripture, I think is, is very sobering for me and refreshing that it allows me to sit with that. And even people that I minister to in my congregation that, that don't, I don't have an easy answer to pain and suffering and neither mm -hmm. do they. And so to say, you know what, there's someone in the Bible who didn't either, and they can sit with your pain. Maybe it's unanswerable. Um, and, and that, you know, uh, I, and maybe people will disagree with me, but I even like that it, Job disagrees with other parts of the Bible, like Proverbs, <laughs> um, that, that there's some disagreement there, because even under the one 
roof of my own church, even though we we believe and, and confess the creeds together and are walking together in faith, not everybody uh, agrees with every single issue together um, all the time. And so we can be under one roof and, and disagree on things, but still be one family of God. And I think even the Bible um, can hold that tension too, that, that maybe there's some disagreements in there, different takes on who God and who God isn't, and but still be under one umbrella and one roof of being the family of God wrestling with these big questions. Yeah. A lot of that comes down to just understanding the nature of wisdom literature. You know, it's not saying this is a command in Proverbs. Likewise, nothing Job says is a command for you. Right. And um, when you look at Paul's writings later on in the New Testament, he talks, he uses this word moderation, which in his context would make people think of Aristotle's doctrine of the mean, where he's discussing, yeah, moderation isn't here's fear and let's choose courage. It is there is blind courage that just runs into a dangerous situation, which is bad and stupid. Mm-hmm. And then there's complete fear where you don't address problems at all. And real moderation is somewhere in between there. And I think it's not for not that the Bible does this thing where it shows one side and then it shows the other side of the same issue. It kind of leaves when the wisdom literature leaves it for you to kind of interpret a little bit and figure out what does this mean in my context? Um, and I thought it was really important that we included this today. Um, if you look throughout Christian history, especially with concerning the book of Job, Hebrew scholars have always had an influence on how Christian thinkers look at this book because mm-hmm. uh, it's Hebrew language that we're getting an interpretation of as Dr. Greenstein mentioned, and I, I think it was useful to look at this because that brings back when we're talking about the Dividing Scripture series of this important verse, 42.6, and how he interprets it and how one group of Christians might look at this and say, this book is saying this parody kind of situation and it ends with Job going, oh, I take pity on humanity if this is true. Another person saying, Job's hum- humbling himself and saying that God was right the whole all along. And the good news is, I, I feel as though there is biblical precedent for both of those answers to make sense in different contexts. Mm-hmm. So I don't think if you come away with one, I come away with the other, well, one of us is getting into heaven, the other's not. You know, I, it's not that kind of thing. Yeah, It's not yeah. one of us is wrong and the other one's not even. Both of those principles are true in some way, and it's just important to be able to see these different interpretations and leave room for disagreements. Even, at, even though, you know, this was from a Hebrew interpretation, a lot of Christians take that stance, and it's important for us to understand it well if we're going to disagree well. Yeah, and I, I love its place in the canon. Like to kick off the wisdom literature, you're kicking it off oh, with, yeah. with Job. <laughs> That's how you spicy. start. <laughs> you're kicking off really spicy, and then you get into the other aspects of wisdom literature. So I, I love its place even within the canon of, of, of Scripture because it, it gives you permission to be like, hmm, is that the case? Is it not? Um, I don't know if I agree or, or sit with that. And um, I, I just, I, I've grown more and more to love this book. One of my favorites in the in the Bible, especially as the long longer I'm in ministry and longer I hang out with people um, and understand the human condition, uh, <laughs> it really resonates uh, with with where I am and where the world is right now. So if we take that as our practical action, just understanding different interpretations, finding that room to disagree well, what difference would we see in the church as people learn to do that better, learn to accept different interpretations and different takes on these kind of scriptures? Well, I think it it, um, it helps widen, not just, I mean, with people, it, again, I say it all the time. I think I say it all the time on, on your podcast, <laughs> but like <laughs> the danger of the single story, we like, we put people in a box and they believe one thing, then they have to stick with that one thing forever. You know, uh, 50-year-old Will probably disagrees uh, with a lot of 20-year-old Will, and who knows what 60-year-old Will is going to grow into and, mm-hmm. and think that we, we progress, we grow, we evolve, and there's red threads and, and there's continuity among that. 
and I'll mm-hmm. al- always hold on to certain uh, tenets of the faith. At least I hope I do, and and, mm-hmm. and stick to that. But but I think you know, if you look at people where they are in their journey and where they are in life, um, you know, who knows where they'll be a year from now or who they were. Uh, five years ago, you may have met someone 10 years ago and you're like, oh, I think I know this person, but like, no, they might have grown a little bit, evolved, changed. And and I think scripture, since uh, these books of the Bible span thousands of years, then there may be a time in history where there's a different outlook on, on life in the world and God than it did before. So it just leaves room for all those things of, of growth and understanding and seeing people from from a new perspective, new angle. And not limiting to them just and putting them in a box, leave them there forever. Absolutely. That room is so important. And if we want to see peace, if we want to see unity, there has to be room. <laughs> you know, I can't have unity amongst me and Will and invite him on a single person bike. <laughs> well, yeah, one of us isn't fitting. Right. <laughs> but we have to leave that room for people. At least this, at least this stage in my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So that being said, Pastor Will, uh, TJ usually makes me go first with what we call our God moment segment, which is just... As you know, we just share a moment God's been doing with us lately. Blessing, curse, not curse. I always say curse. This is why TJ has to do this. Blessing, something to be thankful for, mm-hmm. a challenge, challenge, yeah. not curse. There we go. But <laughs> I, um, my, my one's a big blessing moment that I'm going to share this time is for, for school, I have this portfolio I have to put together and I had to get a bunch of documentation that proved that I did some different work in ministry throughout all these different years. So I had to collect letters from people I've done this podcast with. Pastor Will, TJ, uh, people from Systematic Ecology, people from other ministries I've been a part of throughout the years. And I get to read these letters before I attach them and send them into the school. (laughs) And man, it's just been overwhelming the kindness that people have shown to me and what they just said about my ministry over the years. And it's one of those not trying to be arrogant or get full of myself, but also realizing maybe I have done a little bit of something for the kingdom and just kind of reflecting on that and being thankful for the opportunities I've had over the years. So that was really cool. Yeah. I hope that's encouraging to you because you've, you've put a lot of work, a lot of hours in this and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's making a difference. So oh, yeah, so I was up. trying keep not to cry because I got the emails while I was at work and I'm like, guys, guys, if you're going to say this nice stuff, you have to wait till later in the night. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're the one who put the rush. You're like, oh. get this out there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> listen, listen, school has deadlines. <laughs> school has deadlines. And if I don't have oh. a deadline, I just sit out there. So I appreciate oh, yeah. that. All right, Pastor Will, what's God been up to with you lately? Yeah, it's it's definitely you know as as we sit here in this kind of fall changing of seasons, I um a lot of, a lot of good things going on in my life. Uh, I'll do two God moments. Last last week, uh, there was a hurricane coming down the coast, and um, I jetted down to the coast to chase chase some waves with one of my one of my buddies. And it was one of these days where I was thankful that the hurricane didn't get near the coast; it swooped out in the direction <laughs> it's supposed to back back out to sea. But it still brought waves, and I was able to surf and have lunch with my best friend and get a new surfboard with uh, birthday money and then go back out surfing and not get stung by a jellyfish. But then I saw a big giant sea turtle in the water, um, which <laughs> oh, I haven't seen like friend. a sea turtle in the wild in a long time. So that nice. that was cool. So that that was really, really great. And then the other side is that, you know, the, today I, I cleaned up my office and was getting rid of some of these big piles of papers that just kind of stack up and I ignore. I was kind of looking through them and some, like some of these stacks are like a couple years old. So I'm like <laughs> looking at these stack of papers and it's almost like a time capsule of what we've done in ministry and coming out of COVID and some of our policies and what we've grown into. So it's kind of fun. Just kind of look at what some things you throw away, some things you keep. And, uh, but it was nice to see almost like this time capsule of what, 
what God's been up to in our in our congregation over the last couple of years. That is cool. That's a very similar God moment. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like when those happen. It's nice. Mm-hmm. That's just a good season of life right now, I feel like. Um, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and consider sharing it with a friend, an enemy, or even a cousin, as TJ would like me to say. Um, we actually prefer cousins, in case you were wondering. So if you have a cousin, share it with them. Uh, be sure to check out our other podcast. Will is on there as well. It's Systematic Geekology. You can go to systematicgeekology.org, hit the host tab, and my name, TJ's name, and Will's name are all on there. And you can see everything else that we do there. And uh, make sure, if you're not on Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast, and you can get access to our whole church news segment. We do this about once a month. We go over some major new stuff in the church as well, just prayer requests from around the world and just little things to connect us better to the global church and uh, unity in that way. I think it'd be really useful and it's a helpful tool for all of you guys. And thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Coming up, we'll be back with another roundtable discussion, this time on how we view our identity in Christ, our gender identity, our national identity, all of that kind of stuff. We're going to be interviewing Pastor Mike Moffitt of University Place Presbyterian Church after that. Then we will interview Dr. Richard Raines, the author of Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of Her Most Essential Founding Father. And finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us as soon as we make him aware of it. We're still working on that. So just hang in there with us. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. And remember, you can always sponsor the podcast at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast. Coming up next, we will have a roundtable discussion about identity in the church and our identity in Christ.